Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast and a special basketball preview edition. Uh, I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. I have no open joke to start. Uh, we're gonna just gonna dive right into this, guys. Uh, it's uh, hard to believe. Like here we are in November, and it is basketball season, isn't it? It is November, so it is basketball season. That's a good job out of you. Yep, I have That's command. The best time I command of the year, time y'all. and space. <laughs> it's the best time of the year. It's the best it's time the, of the year. We got NBA, got the NBA going on, and college hoops ready to roll, baby. Let's go. Yeah, we're coming down the stretch in football. You know, we've got it's the it's the fall sports equinox, Eric Lopez. We're gonna be really busy the next few weeks. <laughs> That's a good problem to have. That's a good problem to have. True. But, uh, it's awesome. It, it, it'll be exciting to just see the basket and get to the arena, and excited for two programs. That was one. That's true. So we've got uh, a lot to talk about, and a very interesting year it is for uh, for UCF basketball, like you said, Eric, on both sides. Um, and we are going to we're going to preview both teams in this episode. We're going to preview the men's team and the women's team. On the women's side, we've got an interview with Coach Abe, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, about her team uh, heading into uh, the 2019-2020 season. And on the men's side. We will talk with uh, Colin Smith as well, one of the few returnees on the men's basketball team. So let's actually get started um, with that. UCF last year on the men's side, uh, wow, what a storybook. Uh, certainly conclusion to the year it was. Uh, finished 24-9, and 13-5 in the conference, tied for third. Um, made it to the NCAA tournament as an at-large team for the first time in uh, school history. Won the first NCAA tournament game in uh, school history. Um, and then in the second round against number one overall seed Duke. Um, of course, we all remember it. The the uh, the B.J. Taylor miss layup, the miss put back by Aubrey Dawkins, rolling around and out of the rim. And UCF comes that close to knocking off the, uh, the, the, uh, the Duke Blue Devils um, yes, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, game. Yep, black and gold banneret award game of the year. Even though it was a loss, it was that. It was that amazing. Certainly a moment that we'll never forget. Highest rated uh, UCF sporting event of any kind uh, in terms of television, and it was just, it was, oh, man. It just it, it, even thinking back to it, it was it was amazing and it was heartbreaking at the same time. So well, lots changed for UCF men's basketball uh, since then. Uh, obviously, Taco Fall gone. Uh, B.J. Taylor, gone. Aubrey Dawkins, gone. All graduated. Number of graduations, a number of transfers out of the program as well. UCF returns only three players from last year's team who saw any significant minutes. Frank Burtz, Cesar DeJesus, 
and Colin Smith. Six transfers come in uh, to UCF. All but uh, uh, all but one of them are six six or taller. Two, three of them are six eleven or taller. Uh, plus a number of freshmen coming in for um, Johnny Dawkins' uh, team in 2019-2020. Uh, so, uh, Brian Murphy, I will begin with you. The, okay. the huge turnover on this roster. What I, the, the question that's gonna, that everyone's going to wonder is, what are we to expect from this team this year with all these new faces? Uh, that's a good question and one that I can't even tell you the answer to that because I'm not even sure if Johnny Dawkins knows what to expect from this. Uh, we talked to Johnny before media day, a couple weeks before that, when Yusef started practicing in early October, and he said this is one of the biggest challenges of his coaching career. This is his 12th season as a head coach, and uh, he, he doesn't remember having a team in which he had to replace nine players. Um, and so I'm not sure if he knows what to expect because there's just so many guys that have never been together ever in any sense. Um, you know, you could talk about last year's team how, well, they hadn't really played together much because Aubrey had been hurt a lot and BJ broke his foot once, Taco had been hurt a lot, but at least they're around each other a lot. These guys are all mostly all new. I mean, the returning players, your top returning players are Colin Smith, Cesar DeJesus, and Frank Burtz. Two of those guys were reserves, you know. I mean, so I don't know. What do we? What can we expect? I would say, uh, I have no idea. So there you go. Great answer. <laughs> and I would, I would keep the expectations modest because there are going to be some massive growing pains as this year goes on. Not only because the, not only because their conference is really good, but also just because of of the lack of familiarity together. There's going to be some really tough nights. Eric Lopez, it's it, it, it it's kind of hard to see. It, it's going to be a difficult season, I think, in general. Certainly, probably in the in the early going, there's going to be just a lot of uneven play. When you see a team turnover like this, I guess maybe you would know this better than anybody. Do you recall any team, maybe not just in basketball for uh, for UCF or anywhere else, but um, really any UCF team that had this much turnover uh, from one year to the other? Uh, I can't think of one at the top of my head that jumps out at all that really uh, would have this kind of a level. Everyone's I, thrown I cannot... for a loop by this team. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to think. You asked the question, so I'm trying to think. Um, I can't, to be honest. I mean, uh, it's, it's at least on the UCF side, you see this a lot in college basketball in general, but usually the power – the big programs, the blue bloods, as they like to say, uh, have constant turnover. The difference is you're replacing one McDonald's All-American with another McDonald's All-American. So, you know, it's not a big deal, but this one's not the case, and it's a bit of a rebuild. But, however, let, let, let's say this. There is talent here. Let's not act like there is not talent. And, Brian, let's start with the point guard position. And Dazon Ingram, the transfer from Alabama, who played UCF, ironically, the year that Alabama, when Alabama was here at UCF, and in fact they had the home and home series recently, I think it starts with him. I mean, I think he's a talented player, and that I think we got to start with that and him and coming over from Alabama. Absolutely, and you know, talking to him, 
Dazon is pretty open about uh, his days at Alabama, and he thought that they sort of restricted his game. They wanted him to focus on certain aspects of the game, and and kind of like how they, you know, kind of like in football, you want quarterbacks, certain quarterbacks to be game managers. They wanted Dazon to be more of a game manager than than really, I think, he believes using his full skill set. He says now that uh, with Johnny Dawkins' system, which they expect to be more up and down this year, more free-flowing, a lot more perimeter-based, that uh, that he's able to do more on the court than he was able to do at Alabama uh, on all facets, passing, shooting, uh, defense, because he's not as locked in. He's more free-form, basically. So uh, he said that a lot. I think that's one thing that's caught my eye about him. And so, yes, he will be the guy who leads this offense, who will be sort of the, you know, for lack of a better you know, way to describe it, the B.J. Taylor replacement, you know? You know, he's got more than 100 games of college experience under his belt. Last year, he averaged 7.1 points, 2.6 assists, 3.8 rebounds. His best year uh, was two years ago when he averaged 10.6 and 3.3 assists and 4 rebounds. Um, his points per game total has gone down. His rebounds has fluctuated, but, you know, it's pretty good. You know, he shot 52% also um, two years ago. Uh, and is a and is a 38 uh, percent three point shooter as well. So yeah, I, I, you know it's pretty easy to see him as the B.J. Taylor replacement. My question is, who's the guy who's going to take the who's going to take the place of Aubrey Dawkins as that explosive scorer uh, that we saw, la- particular toward the end of last year? Yeah, I don't think there is a guy on this roster right now who is going to be that that dynamic wing player. Mm-hmm. Who can shoot from the inside, drive, uh, drive, shoot from the outside, drive inside? You know, I think the the, the best replacement score they've got is Matt Milan, uh, Oviedo Nada. This is going to be a story that every telecast will pound into the ground. But he's a kid who grew up going to UCF games, uh, watching uh, you, you know the Keith Clantons of the world as a kid. Uh, transferred from, transferred in from William William and Mary after the coach there got fired. So he comes to uh, UCF to finish his college career, and he is a he is an all-out sharpshooter. He is a marksman, uh, a guy that you expect to hit 40 to 45 percent of his three-pointers. Um, so really, he kind of picked up the scoring slack. But in terms of like, are you looking for that slasher wing, uh, inside and outside guy? I don't think there's there's a guy on that roster who can really replace what Aubrey did. Yeah. Milan, another guy with over 90 games of college experience and a uh, career three-point shooter at over 42%, by the way. And at William & Mary, it, it, it actually played a year at Boston College before he transferred to William & Mary as well, so we know how good he is there. Last year, he averaged 13 points a game, shot 40% um, from the arc. Um, one of the other newcomers I'm interested in is um, Ibrahim Famuke Dumbia, uh, who comes yes. over from South um, Carolina. Uh, didn't play that much uh, it, it, for uh, for Frank Martin down there in the SEC. Only 12 games, only averaged three minutes per game, but uh, is a 6'7", uh, is listed at 6'7", uh, has a big frame. What do we know about him coming into this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly where he fits with this roster right now. I really don't. Um, and I think what you can count on with this team right now, what we know about this team is, uh, Colin Smith is is really the, the the head of the snake. He's going to be the guy who gets the ball in big minutes. You've got Milan and Ingram are going to play big minutes as as uh, as newcomers. Frank Burt, Cesar DeHaze, who's off the bench, will 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 certainly chip in. 
I'm not sure where a guy like uh, Famuke really fits in right now. Um, I do. I, mean, I think the good thing is with Famuke, he's he's got at least a year of experience in the program. He was here last year, right? So uh, sat out as a transfer, and that you know that is valuable. Certainly, he's got that over a lot of guys on this team. Uh, but I still don't know where he really fits in on this team. It, I I just think, you know, his name has not been brought up a whole lot. Uh, in, yeah. in, you know, by by Johnny Dawkins. So I'm not sure where he really fits. Let's talk about well, the I size. Those, oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just gonna say I, I think those are things that are gonna have to play out during the season. I mean, I yeah. I don't, you know, I it, either somebody will step in and step up and play at a high level and, and say, wow, that, that was big, or it may have to be multiple guys that kind of contribute to that. So uh, I think yeah. those are still to be determined and, and wild cards and. Uh, I think it, it's that could be one where one night it's one guy and the other guy and the next night is a different guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I would I I did I think that Johnny Dawkins does deserve uh, plenty of credit for is the size that he's brought in with these transfers. Obviously, we mentioned how Colin Smith returning um, is uh, it, it, you know six eleven. He's going to get the big minutes, but you know it's going to be uh, when we talk about replacing you know guys like Aubrey Dawkins and B.J. Taylor. The question then becomes who replaces Taco Fall, who is such a unicorn inside at 7'6". But, mm-hmm. uh, again, this might be another uh, big man by committee thing, but there's a, there's a number of big guys coming in. Uad Alok, uh, who actually has already been at UCF for a little bit, uh, transferred over from TCU. He's 6'11". Uh, Avery Diggs from Southwest Mississippi Community College at 6'11". Moses Bowl, another community college transfer, who's 7'1". So, you know, okay. Granted, you're not going to really be able to fully replace a guy like Taco Fall because, like I said, he's a unicorn. But it's not like UCF is suddenly becoming small either, right, Brian? No, they're not small. I will say, I'm not sure how much. Again, I'm not sure how much Moses Bowl plays either. I mean, I, I, I'm again, I'm taking this. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he's. I think he's eligible. I say that because he wasn't even brought out at media day. So. Right. Putting that out there, and you ought to lock. Um, you know, as a is sort of a stretch five. He wants to sh- he likes to shoot jumpers, which can be frustrating at times for a guy of his size. But um, he will not be available until the end of the fall semester. Uh, so uh, due to due to transfer uh, rules, so uh, he won't be playing until at least mid December. Um, but to your point, yes, there is size here. We just don't know what it all looks like, except for Colin Smith. And Colin was not a real defensive stalwart. That, that's not his game. Right. Colin is a really Colin is a really good offensive player, a versatile guy who I think has is going to improve as a, as a shooter, but also get, has shown that when they when they get the ball to him on the block, he can go to work like he did against Houston, uh, and really do good things. I, but I just don't know how this other size is really going to pan out. I mean, defensively, I think they're still going to be strong because. Johnny Dawkins is going to put so much emphasis on that side of the ball, but to say that they're going to be a top ten defense, uh, you know, in the in the ways that they were previously, uh, I don't see that happening just because Taco Fall changes so many things, not just the blocks, but the shot adjustments and the choices you make on offense. Yeah, well, well he's a if, one of a kind guy. He's a one yeah. of a kind player. I mean, you can't, you know, you just you're not going to, you just don't find seven six guys with his abilities ever. So I think that's fair. I think. Defensively, the question will be maybe a guy like Avery Diggs, maybe Uot when he gets uh, back from eligibility. I think that's going to be the question defensively there, maybe helping the rim there. But here's the thing, Murph. 
you might say, talk about Colin Smith. I think he's the most important player on this team because he goes from a guy that probably was the number four option offensively most nights last year to perhaps the number one or number two option on this team. And I think that's going to be, to me, is going to be the key at how successful UCF is, is that jump that Colin Smith might have. And, you know, you and I got a chance to catch up with him at media day. Yes, we did. And, you know, Colin, Colin knows the pressure is on him. Uh, he knows he's the focal point of this team. He knows that as a junior now, he has to be a leader on this team. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, we, we, we talk about that and uh, many other things with Colin Smith. And I think we have an interview with him yep. that, we'll, uh, that we'll cut to now as I make a really sloppy transition. <laughs> <laughs> you, can tell, um, you can tell who the guy who didn't have radio training is, right, Eric? Huh? Come on, bet. Mark. <laughs> I'm, all about the, I'm all about the writing. Uh, anyway, yes, so here is uh, Colin Smith talking about how he's trying to be a better leader, how he's improved this season, and many other things. And, and what I thought was a pretty entertaining interview when we kind of a Colin Smith at Media Day. What your excitement level is like for this season, maybe then heading into last season, is it any different? Uh, it's not any different. Yeah. I can say I'm very excited right now. It's been a long off season. Uh, just trying to get, you know, the last season off my mind. You know what I'm saying? How it ended. But, and I think that this is just a new start for us. And I just can't wait. I wonder if any of the players on this team who were here last year have gone back to watch any clips or highlights of that Duke game. Well, I'm telling you, I was watching that, that those clips for like two months straight. Just the same, the same video every day, every day. Because it just sat in my mind, like, how I never want to feel like that again. I appreciate that, because I talked to Coach back in, like, August, and Dawkins said that he's never going to watch it ever again. He never would. I appreciate that someone on this team is watching that game, because that game was great. Yeah. That was a great game. I love it. And we almost had it. It was crazy, but... Uh, learning experience, you know, for me, uh, for the guys that went up to the NBA, learning experience for them, and I hope that, you know, they take that and use it in their future endeavors as well. Obviously, this team is looking for somebody, I mean, you guys have a lot of leaders because you got some seniors, guys transferred in, but they want that one guy that people are going to turn to when things go rough, and three, at least three guys here today have mentioned your name first out of their mouths as being the leader of this team. Uh, just how has that gone for you, becoming more vocal and, and, and being more of that leadership role? I think me becoming one of the older guys on the team, becoming a leader, uh, it's, it's helped me a lot on the court, but also off the court. Uh, though I'm already outspoken, I feel like it's making me, like, it makes it easier for me to talk now. Mm -hmm. And uh, just having my teammates come up to me, asking me questions, whether they don't know the plays or whether they need something off the court, it's just... It's like kind of crazy. I feel like it's, I feel like I'm a dad sometimes, but uh, <laughs> it's a cool experience, you know, just learning everything about everybody. So you got, lot, you got a lot of freshmen here, so we've got to learn the ropes. So is that what you mean by being a dad? We I mean, talk to guys who are freshmen. Freshmen, uh, even the, some of the new guys that we got that are transfers, they don't really know the play because they come from different systems as well. So just teaching them what's going on. So. Replacing Taco with that front court, you know, with you and Ibrahim, and and when Ulot becomes available. What's that going to look like with you guys up front? Uh, with me, you know, I'm not really the best shot blocker out there, but I'll be taking a lot of charges, so I'll be down there sliding my feet. But uh, you and Ibrahim are athletic freaks, and they're going to be jumping everywhere. So just trying to keep them out of foul trouble is going to be the, the biggest goal for us. You want compared his skill set to yours, and I know you like to shoot your threes. Is you want really going to step out and take like 25 footers? You are going to step out and take 25 <laughs> footers. <laughs> do, not, do not let him fool you. He will shoot some threes. I can't wait for that. Uh, you know, obviously in a point guard position with BJ gone, 
You know, what's it been like having Dazon? I think Dazon really running the show here, running this offense. To be honest, I think Dazon is kind of like a six-six BJ. The way he uses his body, the way he like contorts to make good passes, the way he easily gets in the paint. I feel like it just it makes the game just so much easier because he's putting so much pressure on the basket. My man is going up to him. He just dishes it off to me for the the short corner shot, or or I'm just diving in the lane. It's, it makes the game so easy. Do you see, because this offense relied so much on Taco, BJ, and Aubrey, and then you were sort of the fourth option at times, and you stepped up, and then... But really, is this offense more spread out this year, more spread the wealth kind of offense this year? It definitely is, because we got more passing going around. We got more cutting, we got more back doors, we got more lobs. We got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of new things to show y'all this season. And I, the, the, obviously, we talked a couple weeks ago, we talked about the pace. You guys are picking up the pace. How has that been? Just describe the difference of playing and practice from last year to this year. It's just, I feel like it's, it's fun. It's mm-hmm. fun because I love running up and down with my teammates, making good passes, connecting plays. It's all just good vibes for me. So running up and down the court has just been like, just it's been one. Of, it's been it's one of the feelings that I've been wishing that I had like these past couple years that I've been in college. What or who among the new guys, guys that we haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. has been the most maybe most impressive to you? Uh, Brandon, Brandon, he's a registrar this year. Yeah. But I didn't know he was that good. He's really been like getting us a lot better in practice. He's like he's been killing us. So Brandon has been like a really bright spot. Uh, Darren, knockdown shooter. Matt Milan, of course, you know about him. Mm-hmm. He's been hitting everything. Uh, Tony's been coming along, you know, attacking the basket. Trying to find a shot. Uh, well, I, some people have talked about Darren because of his shooting, but no one has mentioned Brandon because you know obviously he's red shirting. Mm-hmm. But uh, talk about what, what do you see from Brandon? Because we won't see him for another year. But what do you see? It's just he's like he's like a pure scorer. Like I've never some of the shots he's taking. I'm like wow, the way he just moves his body in the air, the way he like goes in the paint and hops up. It's just. It's crazy to see him score because, like, some of the moves he make, you only see that in the league, and he's already doing it right now. And I just feel like if he got the chance, he'll really just, he'll really kill. Any team goals? Um, just to be the best team that we could be. Go out there, compete every night, give us our best, and just give us another chance to go 1-0 every night. Oh, 1-0. Any individual things you worked on during the offseason to make you a better player that you've worked on? That's my shot. My shot, my mid-range, my threes, um, my handles. You know, you'll see a couple of breakouts where I'm bringing the ball up the court and making passes, connecting plays or whatever. So just working on, like, you know, the guard stuff. Trying to focus on that. We've been talking the offseason about the three-point line, moving it back, you know, and all that's good and all that. What's your thoughts on the three-point line in general? I feel like I shoot better deeper okay. just because, you know, most of the time I'm hitting the backboard, so <laughs> just working on my touch and stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm all for moving the line backwards. Is that like an adjustment at all? Like if they, you know, moving it back or anything like that? Or is it like just one of those things where you're like, hey, like, like we're going to shoot it from the line. We'll make it an easy adjustment. Um, I mean, you got to jump a little more. Maybe put something in your wrist a little bit. But all in all, you know, shooting is shooting. You know, you got either got touch or you don't. How comfortable are the coaches with you and letting you – you know, freelance more outside and perimeter and, and letting you shoot more than last year. Because I will say, last year, I know they wanted you at times to get more on the block. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are they more comfortable with letting you go out there more this year? Yeah, they've seen that the player that I've become and how like, my IQ has frozen every year. Mm-hmm. So they know that I'll take smart shots and I won't just be out there chucking out threes all night. <laughs> 
So that's Colin Smith, the 6'11", 240 redshirt junior from uh, Jacksonville, um, discussing his what his role is going to be uh, coming into this season. So we talked about you know the number the 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 guys who are returning or transferring, like Colin, who's going to be leading the charge. Um, this team has uh, three seniors on the roster: Frank Burtz, Dazon Ingram, and uh, Matt Milan. Of course. Um, Collins a junior, a redshirt junior, uh, a very a decent number of juniors. But there's a number of young guys here that I think are pretty uh, interesting and intriguing to take uh, to take a look at. When you look at the freshmen coming in, Tony Johnson Jr., who's uh, from Eufaula, Alabama, went to the Skill Factory um, in Georgia. Now Dre Fuller's listed as a freshman, but he's a redshirt freshman. He's been here already. Um, yeah. But but you know, and then of course, uh, and then of course, Darren Green uh, Jr., who went to uh, Wharton over at Tampa, actually a teammate of another guy on the roster, Ryan, a high school teammate of another guy on the UCF roster, I should say, uh, Ryan Anders, who also went to uh, Tampa Wharton. So now we're going to start to see, I think, the real fruition of Johnny Dawkins's recruiting ability, right? Because now he's not trying to work with guys who who were brought in under another regime. These are his guys that he's working with, right, Brian? Correct. And so you know, at this time last year, guys, I think Dre Fuller. I think we had expectations that Dre Fuller would play on this team last year, um, and you know, it just it, as it turns out, as guys sort of stayed healthy, uh, there really was never a spot for him. They redshirted him, but Dre Fuller. I guess going back to our original question of who could possibly be an Aubrey type of guy, like he has the athleticism to do that. I'm not sure. He's certainly not anywhere near the shooter that that Aubrey was. But in terms of um, explosive ability. A guy who can go kind of inside, outside, a big play guy. Like Dre Forward has that. Um, and also, Darren Green, I believe Dazon Ingram said Darren Green might be the best shooter he's ever seen. Now, again, that's only Dazon's opinion, and it is his teammate now. But I heard that from multiple guys about, you know, I asked guys, you know, who's the freshman? Who's one of the really young newcomers who have stood out in practice? And almost everyone says Darren Green because of his pure shooting ability. Um, and that that uh, is always wanted. So I could definitely see him playing major minutes as a microwave type of score uh, for this offense. So Eric, I, I know you. One of the other guys you came away really impressed with for me today was uh, Tony Johnson Jr., the freshman from UFA, Alabama. Um, went to the most amazing, uh, reportedly the most amazing sounding high school in history, the Skill Factory in Georgia. Um, Tell me about Tony. What was it that impressed you so much when you talked to him? He's a very confident young man, uh, very well-spoken, smart, has a passion for the game of basketball. And he's a fascinating young guy, and I was really impressed with him. And it intrigues me. He intrigues me very much because he is wearing number one, and that's a very big deal at UCF, a big number. A couple great ones have worn that number, Jermaine Taylor and, of course, B.J. Taylor. I had a chance to talk to Tony Johnson at Media Day to get to know him and ask him what got him into basketball and is he aware about the number one there at UCF and what he brings to the table to the black and gold. Here's now my conversation with Tony Johnson. But tell me, what got you uh, interested to come to UCF? Uh, the coaching staff, man. Uh, Coach Dawkins, Coach Norris, uh, each one of Coach uh, Taylor, everybody on the coaching staff. Um, you know, I related to them. Uh, Coach Dawkins, Coach Norris, Coach Say, they played my position. They played in the NBA. So the knowledge that I would get coming here, uh, Coach Lang, he 
the amount of knowledge you'll be able to give me, you know, to hopefully, you know, take my game to that next level. Coach Lang also is from where I'm from, so we have some ties there. So, yeah, the coaching staff, the culture here, the, when I came with my business, everybody, you know, the family feel, everybody's a family here. So, yeah, man, I just want to be a part of this. And, you know, UCF is up and coming, so I want to be a part of, you know, the, the building stage of this and, you know, see where we can take it. Describe your game for the fans there that get to see you play. Uh, you know, very skilled, athletic, uh, fast, you know, can can do a lot of things on the floor. Um, so, yeah, energy guy when I need to, just do whatever I need for my team to win, whatever the coaches ask me to do. Uh, you know, try to fill that void, fill that role, and it serves as willing to do whatever I want I'm a winner. You're wearing number one. That's a pretty good uh, number in this program. It's yes, very, sir. very high, held in high regard. I, mean, I don't know if you're aware of that or yes, not, but sir, so tell I me am. about how you got to wear number one and obviously BJ coming before you wearing and other great players. Uh, man, I actually, you know, starting off early, I wore number 10. Uh, then I wore zero sometime in high school. Then I switched to number one. So I just been, you know, switching around those numbers a little bit. But um, one just kind of stuck with me. I like how I look on me. Uh, BJ is a great player. He came through. He did some great things here. So, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, keep on that and build on that legacy. Uh, not even build on his legacy, you know, create my own legacy. But, you know, just kind of, you know, keep that number one, you know, looking good. So, yeah, BJ is a great player, you know, but I'm just trying to, you know, make my own name. Did you follow BJ and talk on what they did here closely? And if you did, what what stood out to you when you watched them, either on TV or in person or whatever? Uh, this past season, I definitely followed them a lot. It was part of my recruiting process. <laughs> it was like a vital point in my recruiting process. So I was definitely paying attention to the schools that were recruiting me. And, uh, you know, those guys, they were leaders. Uh, they played together for a while. So they knew how to play with each other. Uh, they weren't. BJ never got sped up. He could score the ball really well. So uh, yeah, he was a very poised. And you know, I look to put uh, some of that stuff in my game. You know, being very poised, always under control, getting to my spots. You know, he's never sped up. He's not the fastest guy, but you wouldn't know because he gets around whoever he wants to. So. Uh, and Taco, you know, he's seven six. You know, he's only fifty people in the world his height. So he uh, he's special, man. He's special dude, special guy off the court, uh, and he's special on the court. So uh, those guys, you know, I can learn a lot from watching them. Who are you learning from on this team here since you've showed up, arrived? And I mean, you got a lot of new faces, so you're all kind of learning each other. But what what's that been like? Um, the leaders, the, the guys from last year, Colin, you know, they talk to me every day. Uh, we don't play the same position, but they lead, uh, you know, in, in any way that I need them to. Dazon, he's a fifth-year guy. He's from Alabama. Uh, he plays the same position as me. So as far as my position, I learned a lot from him because he's been through it. It's his fifth year here. It's my first year. So uh, I can learn a lot from, those, from, from everybody here, though. But those two guys have been, you know, vital. Colin taking that step has been a leader on our team. And Dazon, he's... He's a natural leader. He's uh, playing my position. Um, and then, you know, C's, he leads. Yeah. Um, Matt, Matt is a fifth-year guy. He leads. So, you know, everybody, I feel like we have a team full of leaders. So everybody, is, it just depends on the day. Everybody can lead. Everybody leads here. Levy, he's a leader. Um, so, yeah, everybody leads here. Just we, it just whenever, whenever, whoever needs to lead, everybody's not going to have a great day every day. So whoever steps up that day, that's, that's who leads. And, uh, I just, you know, take something from everybody. Who inspired you to play basketball? Did you have a favorite player that inspired you? Uh, my favorite player growing up would be uh, Allen Iverson, yeah. uh, LeBron James. Those are my two guys. Um, 
but you know my family played basketball my sister probably inspired me the most uh, to play basketball uh, I fell in love with the game at a young age um, so yeah, I used to watch Love and Basketball a lot. So, so you grew you know, into it, basically. Yes, sir, right? Quincy McCall. That's 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 a big inspiration for me. Out for uh, Love and Basketball. So yeah, I just always love this game. Um, it's always in my heart. So you know, I put everything into it, and uh, you know, I made it this far. And I'm just, it's, I'm not done yet. All right, that's my conversation with Tony Johnson from Media Day, the young freshman. Look, and I, I just, Brian, I, I with this type of team. I feel there's going to have to, there's going to be a freshman that, you know, contributes to the success yeah. of this team one way or the other, right? And it might be someone like Johnson who can be somebody that comes off the bench and gets hot and maybe wins a game for you. Certainly, I think, and, you know, I, I think I just sort of mentioned it, but I do think, I, you know, I, I do think Darren Green's shooting ability, scoring ability is something this team's going to want and, and really going to require at points because there's not a lot of go to guys on this team. As far as scores, at least that's what we that's what we believe now going into the season. Who knows? Um, but yeah, uh, they're going to have to use the young guys. Dre Fuller is going to play this year, uh, and even though he's a redshirt freshman, he's still a freshman. So uh, that's going to be and again. Uh, that's what we mean, or that's what I mean when I say I don't even know if John Dawkins knows what to expect this year because it's just so new. Um, so no, I, I, they will have to use the young guys, and that is least. While it's going to be torturous at times, it's going to be interesting and at times very fun to watch. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the uh, about the conference at least as of right now, because not a lot of respect being handed to UCF at least as of right now because of all these newcomers. The Knights are picked ninth in the league, only ahead of Tulsa, ECU, and Tulane. Houston and Memphis finished tied atop the preseason polls. Um, although Houston had more first-place votes than Memphis. They both had 113 overall points. Cincinnati picked third with one first-place vote, followed by Wichita State, USF, UConn, Temple, SMU, and then obviously UCF at number nine. Uh, I'll ask you both of you guys, uh, and Eric, I'll start with you. You agree with that poll? I mean, it's a preseason, but look, it's not. A, it was voted by the coach. If this was voted by the media like Brian Murphy in football, then I would take more, pay more attention to it. But he wasn't. <laughs> Never was mind the coaches. What do they know? <laughs> what do they know? Thank you for taking yet another subtle shot at my bringing up that I had a vote in the preseason. <laughs> Not a shot. It's, I mean, you, you you had a you know you had a you had a somehow you got a vote in the football. And by the way, looking good with Memphis pick. I mean, you know, that that's looking pretty good. So, yeah. um, I, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean. Look, I think it's fair to have UCF be, you know, low because there's a lot of questions about this roster. We're not it's not like we're the only ones asking these questions. I'm sure there's a lot of people asking these questions. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. If I remember Coach Dawkins' first year, they were near picked, I think, near the bottom, if not last, in the league. Yeah. And he surprised people and got them to the NIT. Now, granted, that was a returning BJ Taylor from from health and things like that, but nonetheless, you just I like the fact there are no expectations, and I think these guys understand that, and I think they'll they have a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. And by the way, this league is very good, and Murph, this league is very good at the top, and I think it's going to be fascinating uh, to see the one difference this year is last year we could say, all right, pencil this as a win for UCF, pencil this for a win. Yeah, uh, you know, with this young, with this roster at this point, Murph. I, there's not a lot of games you can pencil in, and I think that's why there's so much uncertainty, and that's why they're probably ranked low in, in the conference. 
Yeah, and I I will say I love I love the way that this year is unfolding in the AAC. I think it's going to be a really really fun conference, even if UCF uh, is not really in the mix at the end to win a championship because there are a bunch of good teams. You know, they they had the old saying of you know. If you don't see an easy opponent on your schedule, that's a bad thing because that means you're the easy opponent. And I'm not saying that about UCF. There are legitimately five or six or maybe seven really good teams in this conference, like tournament NCAA tournament teams. And, like, coaches might say that to pump themselves up, you know, pump the conference up. But I'm saying that as, like, trying to be unbiased observer. With Cincinnati, got Jaron Cumberland coming back. Houston with Kelvin Sampson, you know, always running good program, always running a quality uh, on-court program, but also with Deshaun Giroux and Quentin Grimes, the former uh, McDonald's All-American transfer from Kansas, now eligible. That's huge. Obviously, Memphis is the class of the conference. I still believe, even with their probably, I would say, of the of the guy of the, of, of the top ten or nine or ten guys they rotate, seven of them will be freshmen. Uh, they're probably going to start all five freshmen. Uh, on, on their starting five, but, but might, man, might, might might have the potential number one overall pick on the roster. I yeah. do believe the that James. I, I do believe James Wiseman will be number one in the, in the draft. Um, it's gonna be a fun year for that team. They should make it at least in the Sweet Sixteen. Um, you know, Wichita State's another year older. Um, Connecticut's still pretty good. Temple's got a couple guys back. They lose Shiz Alston. Obviously, Fran Dumpy's out as well, but they've got a couple guys back. And then my 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 there my dark. Go. The, 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 team, the team the team that I'm oh, tying boy. my wagons for, the USF Bulls, this team can be really good. Really, really good. Everyone's back. Everyone's back. Uh, I mean, I mean, they they, they have I, – I think they have a chance. Again, I've said, I'll say this a thousand times. I think they have a chance to be <laughs> second in this conference. If I believe Memphis wins. I believe Memphis wins it. Ooh. But maybe Cincinnati, maybe Cincinnati takes a step back without without Mick Cronin. Houston lost a ton of offense last year, even with Grimes and Giroux. They still have points to make up, and you can see a pathway for USF to finish second. I think if, since we're talking about USF here, we're talking about UCF here, obviously. I think UCF's range is probably like 11 at the lowest and like seven at the highest. How about you, Eric? Where do you have them? Where will you have their range at? Sorry, I, for a second there, I got lost. Was I thought we were in the Daily Stampede podcast there for a second <laughs> here. Holy smokes. Now, now. My goodness. Um, no, but, you know, in fairness, I mean, I don't know if I got him as pick second, but I think, I mean, this is a big year for South Florida. I mean, Brian Gregory's done a nice job there. And they're kind of in the position, to some extent, what UCF was last year. But there is high expectations there after kind of overseeding things last year. I think they have a shot to be a postseason basketball team, whether they're NCAA or not remains to be seen. Obviously, Memphis is the favorite team. But I can tell you this, boys, having spent time with some of the Houston people this weekend, because football was here, obviously, played against uh, UCF on Saturday, and then women's soccer uh, in the uh, American Conference Championship against UCF. So I got a chance to talk to them. And I think Kelvin Sampson, from what I've heard, loves the fact that everybody's picking Memphis. Like, right now, Kelvin Sampson loves right now the fact. He probably just threw his jacket and his tie if you just send him Brian's clip about picking South Florida for a second, he, he's, he's in joy because he loves the fact that his team is getting no respect and what he's built there. And I think they're going to be motivated, and he's a great coach, and I think they're going to still be a team to be reckoned with. I would still have them in the second. And then Cincinnati, I feel like the reason why we're down on them is because Mick Cronin left. I mean, John Brandon, the new head coach, is as good as it gets. I mean, he's an up and 
incoming coach did a great job at Northern Kentucky. They do have the, you know, Cumberland, who's the, you know, one of the top players in the league, was a player of the year type. So, and yeah. then Wichita State, they lose that Chinique <clears throat> for a month through an injury, but they got a lot of guys back. So I think this is a league that's a three to four bid NCAA tournament team bid league with possible two to three, four more teams going to the NIT and other postseason berths. Uh, but I, I got Memphis, but I still have Houston and Cincinnati. South Florida, I'm curious to see how they handle the expectations by people like Brian Murphy now, who's put them in the, you know, in the podium here. And we'll see how they respond to that pressure, because there's a lot of pressure when Brian Murphy puts you at the top of your list. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, well Memphis, I'm glad that Memphis Tigers have responded well on football. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you talk about the respect, the lack of respect for Houston, though, I mean, it is worth noting, obviously, and you, and you brought it up a little bit that, they, that the coaches at least expect, you know, respect them by giving them all the first place votes. In Correct. The oh, you're right. But little, um, there was also a little shade there, probably at Penny Hardaway, who, by the way, is that, you know, if only Penny Hardaway could find himself on TV on that college game day on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I think Penny was, on, Penny was on TV more than uh, more than Mike Norvell, it seemed like. On I, Sunday. I actually agree with that. I think if we did a clock watch, I think that's pretty accurate. Penny, Penny knows what he is. He's a basketball coach, and he's also a figurehead. He's a he's a front facing figurehead. He's a yeah. He's he's a, he's a big deal, especially he's a huge deal in Memphis. Let's not let's not cut that short. Um, but all, you know, and um, I think the last thing I'll say here is for UCF, the ceiling the ceiling is an NIT bid anywhere at any spot. That is the ceiling. Yeah, but. Hey, you know, one me, of the things you were that, talking about, that, no pressure, right? <laughs> but let me yeah. ask you this. For that for that to happen, Murph, don't you believe, I believe, that either Colin Smith or Ingram, one of them has to be an all-conference performer for them to, to, to reach that level that you're talking about, to jump an SMU, for example, to jump the Connecticut's, uh, the Tulsa's, the East Carolina's, and, and onward, to get to – if you can get to that middle of the half, top half of the year, one of those guys has to be an all-conference player, no? Maybe both Absolutely. of them. I think, I think Colin Smith is an all-conference player. I mean, I, I mean, he is. Uh, we're going to have to see it out of Ingram or maybe even Milan as a shooter. But, yeah, it, that, that goes without saying. They're probably going to have to have both those guys be conference all-conference players. No UCF players have picked I, to either of the preseason, uh, pre-season uh, all-conference teams, by the way. Uh, three USF yeah. guys were... Um, only Jaron Cumberland out of Cincinnati, uh, two guys from Temple, two guys from UConn, um, one ECU, one Houston, one Memphis, if you can believe it. But, um, but well, yeah, no UCF players. I mean, well, which one, which one from Memphis? Let me guess. Uh, uh take a wild guess. Yes. Um, no, I, it's interesting. Houston only gets one, but again, I think that also, that sort of, that, I mean, that sort of hints at the, at what Houston has to replace. Losing Corey Davis, uh, losing Armani Brooks, uh, it's going to be a lot. So um, uh, that's why I have Memphis finishing first, and that's why I think USF can go get into so that you, uh, two spot. Where do you, where do you have Houston then? Where do, give me kind of, and then give me your UCF. Where do you have UCF? Because I've got UCF kind of in that six to eight range. And what's so tricky about this is there's going to be some toss up games. They could go either way. They could make the difference between finishing six and finishing like ninth, right? I mean, I feel like it's going to be one of those years. Yeah, I think I said, like, I, I, my range for UCF is 7 to 11. 7 at the high, 11 to the low. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. I, I, I have Houston at worst. Uh, they're probably they're probably third at worst. I still believe they're better than Cincinnati uh, now. So they're probably third at worst. 
I will say Tulane's going to win a conference game this year, guys. Just, <laughs> it's well, going to happen. Thank you. Going out on a limb for that. Um, uh, UCF men's basketball season starts Saturday, this coming I hope Saturday. It's not against us, for the record, right? Yeah, I know, right? That's, yeah. Uh, UCF's uh, season starts uh, November the 9th. That's a Saturday against Prairie View A&M at 3 p.m. And then right after that, a quick test at home against Miami, November the 12th. That's a Tuesday. Uh, home games in the uh, non-conference slate uh, include uh, those two plus Charleston. Um, the Knights do play a tournament out in Anaheim, California, um, and uh, and then come back for a bunch of home games. NJIT, Green Bay, uh, go Highlanders, by the way. Uh, not against UCF, but you know my uncle went there. Uh, Sacred Heart, Bethune-Cookman at Oklahoma, and then conference play starts with uh, Temple at home on New Year's Eve. You got Cincinnati coming here January 11th, uh, South Florida here on January 18th, Memphis January 29th, that's a Wednesday night, it's going to be on ESPN, uh, one of the ESPN networks, ESPN2 or ESPNU, that's going to be big, uh, Tulsa, Wichita, Tulane, SMU, ECU to finish out the season on uh, March the 8th, so. I guess uh, what's good for UCF fans is that at least, well, I, I, well, I'll say two things. One, for UCF, they don't have to go to Memphis this year, which uh, is good for them because they can't win in that building and never have. <laughs> uh, but conversely, I'm kind of sad that they're not going to Memphis because I would love to see that team with that building yeah. and how that how that uh, city's going to rally around them. Okay. Well, Lord knows you'll probably get plenty of them on ESPN this year anyway, Murph. So you'll get your so you'll get your wish. You'll don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we'll talk UCF women's basketball, and we'll hear from Coach Abe. Uh, the Knights also t- with a massive turnover on their roster, but uh, where are they gonna where are they picked in the preseason? It's a whole different ball game for KK Wright and the Knights this year. We'll preview them when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast Basketball Preview Edition. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to our Black and Gold Banneret Basketball Preview Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can also follow us uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret all throughout basketball season. Uh, which takes us to the women's side of things. The Knights are receiving votes in the uh, college, uh, in the uh, USA Today WBCA coaches poll. And this is despite the fact that their roster turned over (laughs) almost as much as the men's team um, this year. Uh, But they do have one key player coming back, and of course, that's K.K. Wright. Uh, K.K. last year, obviously... Uh, it, it was so amazing for UCF, and she just continues to get better. Uh, and uh, as we look at you know what she what you know, what she did last year and in, in really carrying this team, uh, started all 33 games, averaged 18 points per game, 
led the team in assists with 115. Nobody had nobody else had more than 44. She was an 82% foul shooter. She shot 43% from the field, 35% from beyond the arc. She just did it all, and she comes back for uh, another season. But aside from her, and she's basically the obviously your top returner. Kayla Thigpen's gone. Sydney McDonald's gone. Jamisha Paul graduated. Nye Schuler graduated. Uh, Brittany Smith, of course, is back. Tolo McCore graduated. L'Oreal Wilson graduated. Not a lot coming back for UCF, but uh, Coach Abe did manage to get uh, quite a few people in the mix um, for uh, to uh, try and keep this run going with one more year of KK. So, uh, Eric Lopez, I turn it to you. What are your expectations for this team uh, as they start this season with KK, but with a lot of other new faces around her? They have a lot of new faces, but still high expectation. They're, I think they're going to be in that 2-3 slot, competing with South Florida for the number two spot. Of course, Cincinnati could be in the mix. They're all behind Connecticut. But the expectations are high despite the departure that you mentioned. And the reason is because they have Coach Abe. Katie Averson Henderson begins her fourth season as the head coach and has turned this program into a winning program. Has won 20 games or more in all three seasons at the first ever in Division One era in UCF women's basketball. Fresh off an American Conference Championship appearance, game appearance, second place finish, and a trip to the NCAA tournament in 2011. There are many questions on this roster, but Coach Abe so far has had all the answers in her first three seasons. I recently had a chance to catch up with Coach Abe. She begins her fourth season exclusively here on a Black and Gold Banner to talk about this year and her thoughts on this team and what are going to be the keys to be successful and reach their goals. Here's now my exclusive chat with Coach Abe on the Black and Gold Banner All right, Coach Abe, uh, another season's here upon us, Coach. Uh, what's it like as you get closer to t- opening night and opening day tip-off here when you play against Pittsburgh on November the 6th. What 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 goes through you as you kind of learn this team? A lot of new faces kind of meshing in with some of the veterans coming back. What Take me through that process. Well, I think at the point we're at now, I think every college coach in the country, they just want to get through that first game. The first great game, no matter how seasoned of a coach you are, how many years you've been in a place, if it's you know, a Hall of Fame coach, it's always the first game. It's very nerve-wracking because you just, you know, you don't, you kind of know what you have, but, you know, foul trouble and, you know, how the team's going to mesh together, how the – you don't have any scouting reports from this year on the first game because you only have what's from last year, so you don't you know the players that are on the team that's coming in, but you haven't seen them on film. And so there's a lot of uh, unknowns for this first game, so I think that's why a lot of coaches are, you know, let's just get the first game down and then we'll be good, you know. So I think no matter how – season of a coach you are it's just very nerve-wracking is that the thing about the early season games you actually learn more about your team than maybe you would in practice because it's one thing to practice and to perform in practice but once the ball is tipped in real live action against other opponents that's when you really learn of what you have and what each individual has yeah and obviously the other there's the opposing head coach and the, and the opposing head coach is going to be like a chess game and so you don't know for sure what they're going to do if they've changed their system for the year. Um, and so, and obviously you have, you know, five, six, seven, eight returning or really seasoned players on the other side. Whereas in practice every day we have scout guys and we have 
our team. And so it's really different to play against, you know, a real live team. That's why it's really good to have scrimmages. Of course, you're led by K.K. Wright, who's got a lot of attention, the, the preseason American, Co- American Conference Player of the Year. Uh, you know, she's a tremendous player. What have you seen from her this year that she's worked on that she might even be better and make another jump compared to last year when she made her great jump? Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, I just want to compliment her and, you know, and this that this is the first time in American history that somebody besides a UConn player has been picked preseason player of the year so that's a tremendous honor for kk um and she's co so that means six people voted for uh a young lady from uconn and six people voted for um kk so that that's such a huge compliment so i'm very proud of her um you know kk's gonna always have some tricks in her basket right but um you know i think she'll shoot some more threes this year but she's she's definitely going to do what she normally does and she's got a great pull-up jumper and she's dangerous in transition and you know making free throws and you know she's just a gamer so I think you know yeah will she take some threes and make some threes and that's what people aren't ready for her to do um but I honestly think everybody else around her is going to make kick it even better you've talked about in the past about how you know Z Saunders and, and even KK has brought it up how she helped her in her game and and you've had a history with guards even going back to your assistant Tawny Bellario when she played for you what is it about your system and seems like your guards seem to flourish and it passes it on to the next person. Yeah, well, uh, it's not always my guards. I mean, when I was at Albany, our best player was a post player. So it just depends on, you know, what kind type of young lady we have on our team and their mentality. KK just really had the, um, you know, the cutthroat tough mentality. And she's just, the way we play really um, makes her special because we press and she gets a lot of steals and layups and loose balls. And um, and also, I want to go in transition, and we push in transition, so it really helps KK. Um, and, and, and the style of play we play kind of really helps any kind of guard that is fast and athletic and that can go and wants to get up and press. So I think, you know, that's super important. But I, I think um, adding Diamond Battle to this, um, is what you're asking me too? Like she came here because she loved KK Wright and loved the way KK played, and and so now you know having somebody like KK and her play together is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And certainly Diamond can learn from KK, and and certainly her her game could take a next level. Is that kind of? It seems like that's been the pattern at least since you've been here at UCF. Is that uh, one of those things where the talks about the leadership that you have from your players that they they pass it on to the next player? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we try to train leadership from day one in terms of freshmen and sophomores. And obviously Diamond was a captain that is voted a captain this year. We have a senior captain, a junior captain and Moss Nikaba and then Diamond. So KK Diamond and Moss. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to see a lot from Britton Smith and Moss this year too. So they've grown tremendously. And we've always been an inside out team, but we just haven't had great inside. But now we have tremendous inside players in terms of scoring. Britton Smith is a is, is going to look like a different player this year to everybody because she can really score on the block and Mossini can score from pretty much anywhere on the floor. You may, let's talk more about up front there because that's always a big part of your defense and getting rebounds mm-hmm. and, and posting up. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about your front court going in? You mean I got all of our guards? For front court, all the front court players, all the front court players. Yeah, so – well, we have a new player, one of our transfers, uh, Cortesia Saunders, that she's um, 
you know, one of our first scrimmages, she just really flourished. We have a really good shooter from Florida that, um, Northwest Florida, that is going to really open everybody else up, especially our post players. Um, so to be able to see those two play in this first scrimmage has been a lot of fun and, and, um, and they can get up and press too. So that's going to, you know, kind of take a little pressure off of KK up there that they can get up on the top of the press and Diamond can get up on the top of the press and KK doesn't have to be up there every single possession. So we got a good five rotation up in the guard spot that's going to be really helpful in the front court. When you we have so many new faces, is is it take it? Is it the challenge is learning the defensive schemes you have, or is it the offensive scheme when you've had the young players? Which one is it that maybe they grasp quicker, and which one's the one that maybe they it takes them a little while? I think it takes them a little bit longer to grasp the defense because we because we're not just learning a half court defense; we're learning a full court defense and a half court defense, and so and. It takes a tremendous amount of work to play the way we do in terms of pressing. So they got to be in incredible shape. They got to have the mentality and the, um, uh, you know, within their gut that they want to get up and press and they want to create havoc and they want to, you know, run around and and be okay with being a little tired and being in great shape. So I think that's been our, you know, main focus spent summertime is getting them in shape, getting them ready, getting them in shape, getting them in better shape than they've ever been in their lives and obviously keeping them healthy throughout that too. So um, I think it's really hard to learn all the defensive concepts and um, offense. Obviously everybody wants to play offense. So it's really the half court offense that um, we need to work on. I mean, transition offense we're great at and the defense and pressing is something we're always going to be great at, but half court, if people, you know, get back and slow us down, now we got to run a set and, it's kind of hard to, you know, slow us down. So we got to have them have a little bit of poise, wait for good shots, wait for open shots, run the sets, and then obviously get some rebounds. We're speaking with Coach Abe here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, it's previewing UCF women's basketball season. You play another tough, challenging schedule, another challenging schedule, non-conference where you're traveling. You're obviously open at home against Pittsburgh, but from that point on, you're going to Belmont. You're going to Florida Gulf Coast, who's been a successful program in the A-Sun. They shoot the three a lot. They go. You're going to Stephen F. Austin. You're playing at a great tournament in Virginia. We're going to play UCLA and, Jan- and James Madison. Just talk about your philosophy when you, it comes to making the schedule. Yeah, I mean, this is just really the American League. We're really all trying to um, – get our uh, strength of schedule up. And, um, you know, I think uh, that's something we're all as head coaches trying to do to keep the American Conference, you know, a good really power six strong, strong conference. And so we really try to schedule up. It's really hard to schedule. But a lot of people don't want to play us, you know, because we we are a good team now and in the style of play that UCF plays. So um, we've been fortunate to get some of these teams. And obviously when you schedule a lot of teams that are good teams like a uh, Florida Gulf Coast and Stephen F. Austin and Belmont, you know, they're going to want you to come to their place first. So, unfortunately, we got to go there first. But I think the month of December, we're home a lot. Is that one of the things that's changed since you first got here? When you first got here, this was a program that had won eight games, was in the bottom uh, of, the, of the conference. And now, you you know, you've put put it up to an NCAA tournament program, and all of a sudden, teams are a little more gun-shy to play all of a sudden after maybe when you first got here, you maybe received some more phone calls. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was easier to schedule that first year because we didn't have a record. And after we won 20 games our first year, then, then it was really hard to schedule. And, and you know, a lot of a lot of co- college coaches out there all, obviously have a lot of respect from um, my coaching staff and myself and how we coach and that we're, you know, halfway decent coaches. So 
they don't really want to take a chance on a loss, so they may not play us because maybe we had played them in the past before. So uh, we can find, you know, some coaches that are willing, you know, to just take a chance and play um, good RPI teams. And that's basically what's happening, I think, all around the country. Florida goes Gulf Coast, you know, they're they're always a good team and they want to play good RPI teams too. And I know Stephen F. Austin does in Belmont. So, you know, and that's why we're going to the Virginia tournament so we can get better RPI games. Do you have to tell your players almost or, or you kind of be aware, you know, these are seven, 18 to 22-year-olds and, you know, they've accomplished, you know, especially, you know, the success that you've had here. Now all of a sudden there's almost a target at UCF. Every time you're playing, you're going to be circled as a lot of teams' opponents, especially in the conference. Is that something you have to remind the players that uh, that really don't get satisfied or at all or anything like that? Because you could get uh, really taken down if you're, if you're not ready to play every night. Well, I think it's more the newcomers. The newcomers are the ones that don't understand yet. They're not going to understand why when we play, you know, somebody that we played from last year, that why they're so intense and so want to beat us so bad because they, they were never a part of that experience where, I mean, I'm not going to have to tell KK that or Diamond that or Moss or Brittany Smith or even Siani, you know, this is why we got to play super hard because last year in the conference or last year we played this team and they're going to want payback. And so, I think for our top five recruiter uh, returners, they know that. It's just the newcomers um, getting them focused and ready to go that, you know, you're not going to understand why everybody's, like, going at us so hard and, you know, getting so fired up to play against us. You're just going to have to play through it and understand that we're telling you that this is going to be a tough game because we beat that team last year or, you know, obviously in our conference, every t- team's tough. Everybody always asks you about UConn every time they ask you about the conference. I want to ask you about the rest of the league. You got South Florida with Coach Fernandez. Cincinnati really was had a good year last year. I mean, you had a classic game with them at home where KK stole the ball and you won by one and you beat them in the semifinals in the conference tournament, among other teams. Just tell me about the rest of the league here because I would imagine the rest of the league's going to have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder with UConn leaving and they want to make a statement that, hey, the American's going to be just fine moving forward. Absolutely. And we talked about that as coaches in our coaches meetings. I think that we want to, you know, keep our conference, you know, the the same and they have the same, you know, strength of schedule and uh, great reputation that we have. Um, You know, and obviously USF is going to be tremendous because they got, you know, their players back that were injured from last year. And they have a big chip on their shoulder because they, they, you know, a lot of their young ones got an opportunity to play a lot. So they're going to be super seasoned and super ready this year with healthy bodies and, Obviously, Cincinnati is going to be really good again. And I think every team in our conference is dangerous. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of, um, you know, we all know each other very well in terms of a player. But I, I really think the coaches in our conference are excellent. I mean, they're always going to prepare their teams and be ready to go. And I think we have a lot of seasoned uh, coaches in our league where some other leagues have, you know, kind of fresh, new, young coaches. But our coaches have been you know, like Lisa Stockton at Tulane, she's a phenomenal coach. I mean, it's not like she's she's her first go round, and Jose's is not his first go round, and you know, Cincinnati coach is not hers. I mean, we're we're all very seasoned coaches, and I think um, you know, any night anybody can win. Yeah, no, no, there's no question about that, and. Uh, you know, you're you're going to be on television a lot, and, and your match games against South Florida is televised a lot. So it's not just UConn that's getting exposure. How much has that meant to your program to get the exposure? They mentioned the success on the court, but you're also getting the exposure as a result of that by being on national television even more. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Um, you know, I think it's great for just women's basketball in general. I mean, 
I just remember back in the days when I played, there, we were never on TV, and I had no role models. And I think it's good for young women. I think that's why women in especially basketball have got a lot better because they can see actual see role models on television and you know obviously watching it online and watching it you know through our websites as these young players that now have role models that they want to be like um it's really helping women's basketball just in general and just the talent level in women's basketball is just getting higher and higher every year what what would the next step for women's basketball if you had a if you could like pinpoint to something you would like to change or add to the game uh, on the court that you think can make the game better or uh, in general what would you do if you if I put you in charge of it <laughs> Wow that's a broad question <laughs> I mean I would take away the stigma of the um, the power five stigma thing yeah. that I mean it's just I think there's so many good schools out there and I think that um, if some of these young women would go to some of these other schools, they'd see that there's there's not, not that big of a difference. I mean, Power Five means football. It doesn't really mean women's basketball. Um, and I think that stigma really um, doesn't help young women because that's why there's a lot of transfers now, too, because they, they might, may pick the schools for the wrong reasons instead of the right fit for, you know, their style of play, academically, you know, their playing time, all that good stuff. So, I mean, I think that stigma, if that somehow could be taken away, would be fantastic. Just for all of, all of us, it would be just like men's basketball where they only have 13 scholarships. Now the 14th and 15th player, they're all moving around to different schools, and that's why you see it's a little bit more – I mean, you could see some of these teams that aren't power supposedly power, power five or, you know, in the top 64 and, and making the NCAA tournament now in men's basketball, whereas women's basketball is kind of still the same. Well, and we're seeing more players, talented players now that aren't necessarily on the big-time programs. They're getting drafted from other programs. To your point, it's more balanced now. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, that it was. Basketball. Right, and, yeah. and, and it's probably more balanced than it was when you first started coaching or even playing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that scholarship thing really yeah. uh, leveled the playing field out for a lot of, you know, I, I, can't, I don't know all the good men's teams out there, the, the ones that aren't Power 5 football, but I, I know there's plenty of them that I've seen on TV and because those are the ones I'm always cheering for, <laughs> the <laughs> underdogs out there, you know. But I, I just think it, there's so many good basketball programs and so many good, you know, places these young people could go to school, and they always, you know, tend to go to, you know, the, the Power 5 schools, and then, you know, they don't, they're sitting on the bench. I mean, they, they could go play somewhere and really enjoy their journey because not everybody's going to play professional basketball, not even in men's basketball, that they're going to play professionally, you know, for that many years. So I think it's more about the experience and enjoying their journey and, you know, being able to have the chance to play. And there's some really good programs out there that some of these kids aren't even looking at because, you know, they don't, they don't even know the difference couple things before we let you go. Let's talk about your staff. Obviously, the success you've had. You, I know you've given credit to your staff. Talk about the staff, what it means to you, especially what they do behind the scenes and, and help build the success that you've had. Well, I think just, you know, being able to keep them every year. Now, this is our fourth year, and I've had everybody stay. You know, obviously, I've begged them to stay, and obviously people are, you know, wanting to recruit them and try to take them from, from our program, and Danny's really been supportive of me, and you know, doing everything he can to keep our coaches here. I mean, my coaches really enjoy um, UCF and the Knight family, and obviously all of them played for me, um, but one, well, two, uh, Isukin didn't. But they've been together with me for a long time. I really 
try to allow them to be great at what they're great at and do and, and give them a lot of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you got a lot of stability there for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I just, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a micromanager at all. I mean, if somebody's good at something, I let them do it and I let yeah. them coach and I let them do a lot of things and we have great communication and we get along really well. And, and it's, you know, it's just a family. It's a great family atmosphere and we've been able to keep, you know, a lot of people here at UCF, I don't think a lot of people want to leave UCF. I mean, it's such a great place to be. So um, I'm very blessed to keep my staff because that just, it just keeps, you know, uh, strength in terms of uh, the players and, you know, consistency with them and, you know, not having to teach everything all the time. So I've been very, very blessed to keep my coaches. And it's a staff that you could probably uh, win a pickup game or two there, uh, I mean, led by yeah. uh, Nikisha Sales. Do, do the players understand how great Nikisha Sales was as a player? Please tell me. I hope the answer is yes, please, because I don't want to feel old, because she was phenomenal watching her play. Uh, do they under, Are they aware when they see her what a great player she was and how fortunate they are they get to learn from somebody like her? I don't know if they've seen her, but they see her every day in practice, do the same thing. So, you know, because sometimes she has to get in practice with them and Obviously, Tani was a phenomenal point guard, and, yep. you know, East is a great forward and plays super-duper hard, and so, you know, I was no chump either, but they never let me play, so whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's been – to be able to have my coaching staff, to be able to be athletic enough and still be young like that and still get out there and, you know, to play and compete, and especially if they have to help the scout guys in terms of um, organization and their playing. I mean, obviously they know Keisha's a great player just because they have to play against her every single day. Last question now, as you get going to the season started and things like that, what's good, what are some of the things, the keys to your team uh, to have the internal goals you have? What's going to be some of the keys to have that success? I think togetherness and being, you know, having energy, effort, and being selfless all the time. I mean, that's just been – something we're known for that you know the whole bench is into the game and everybody everybody understands who's playing and why they're playing I mean I think that's going to be key and then the second key is just staying healthy I mean I think that's everybody's key in the country is just trying to monitor their bodies and make sure they stay super healthy throughout the season we got to get you know some of our players healthy so they can play in December um, well, at least just one of them. So, you know, just keeping everybody healthy, I think it's huge. And then I think what's the biggest thing um, that a lot of people don't understand is that we just need to take one day, one game at a time. We're not trying to play conference right now. All we're doing is thinking about, you know, our next scrimmage and getting them rest and taking care of their academics, you know, because that's important to them. And I don't really want to overwhelm them. So we just try to take one day at a time because I can't, I can't go back to yesterday and tomorrow's not even here yet so let's just con be concerned about today and getting better today it's about getting better today and we'll get to see your team uh, up close wednesday november 6 pittsburgh comes to town in addition financial arena tip off 11 a.m for more details check out ucfnights.com uh, coach always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, excited to see your team and uh, thanks for doing this under the busy schedule and uh, we'll see you out there in the uh, during the season all right not a problem thank you so much and Coach A, thanks to uh, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, and uh, thanks to Megan Herbert for setting that up. And look, guys, I know there's questions. I know you're both concerned and all that, but yeah, I give her the benefit of doubt. She's done an amazing job. And you think about it in the first three seasons here to have tw three consecutive 20 win seasons that's never happened in this program in the Division One era. 
and she's done it with players that people didn't think she had much to work with. I mean, these are her players too. So her and her staff, as we talked about in the interview, to me, get the benefit of the doubt and they'll figure things out because they have in the first three seasons. And I think that's why the expectations are as high as ever, especially when you have a player on your roster that was voted the American Conference Co-Player of the Year, which was, who would have thunk it? Yeah. Well, it, it when you have a player like KK, who was, of course, named Co-Player of the Year, along with Crystal Dangerfield of UConn, who's really good. Uh, KK also named first team uh, all-conference. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's no surprise, really. I mean, it would have been, imagine if for UCF, say, you had one more year of, of B.J. Taylor or Aubrey Dawkins on the men's side. Like, what would that have looked like? That's kind of the same situation here for UCF. KK's one of uh, three seniors on the roster. Siani Martin, uh, who's been with the uh, the Knights for a few years, uh, is another redshirt senior out of Philadelphia. We'll see a lot of her this year. And Grace Stant, a transfer from Villanova from Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, she comes in as a grad transfer, a six-foot-tall forward. We'll probably see quite a bit of her this year. Those are your three seniors on the roster for uh, Katie Abrahamson-Henderson, Coach Abe, and the Knights. By the way, she returns all three of her assistant coaches also, Isoka Nizamare, uh, Tani Valerio, and Nikisha Sales, the great Nikisha Sales, former UConn uh, all-time leading scorer, is, uh, is back once again. The other returning players for UCF, Masani Kaba, the junior from uh, from Dorchester, Massachusetts, a 6'3 forward. She's back this year. Brittany, Spit, uh, Brittany Smith, rather, a uh, another 6'3 forward who uh, showed some signs last year um, in the post, uh, is also back uh, in, for her sophomore year. She's from Boone High School. And another local product, Diamond Battles out of Winter Haven, uh, comes back for her sophomore year. Um, everybody else is new. There are four freshmen on the roster. Um, maybe uh, the most exciting one, I thought, was uh, Brianna Frazier out of uh, Jersey City, um, a freshman who uh, was a real was a real scoring threat uh, up uh, uh, playing up in the playing up in North Jersey, uh, and some more shooting help as well with uh, Becca Ripley, a redshirt sophomore who transferred over from Miami. Some of the other transfers that came over: um, Georgia Gale, a five nine guard from Sheffield, England. Interestingly enough. She went to Northwest Florida State College. She comes to UCF. Um, Cortesia Sanders uh, out of Bartow, Florida, transfers to UCF from Chipola College. Janaea Walker, uh, 6'1 forward from uh, Trinity Valley uh, Community College out of Bolingbroke, Illinois. She's ba- uh, she also joins the fray here for UCF as well. So uh, a lot of uh, new faces around, but a little bit, uh, but plenty of experience uh, around the table too. Now, Murph, when you take a look at the women's side here, I, I guess what is it with the uh, with? I mean, obviously KK has a big part of it, but why do you think it is that that they're giving a lot of credit here to UCF uh, women's basketball, where maybe they weren't to the men's side with all of these new faces? Maybe some of these new faces have something to do with it, don't you think? Certainly, uh, I you know I'm not sure again about the strength of the conference either. Uh, I do think it's also a nod of respect to UCF and the fact that, you know, you can have, certainly in basketball, you can have one player dominate a game and carry you. Uh, and, and, you know, you, we've seen that in, in major college basketball for a long time. So that, that, that's sort of the KK influence. Um, mm-hmm. I, will say, I will say I'm looking forward to seeing how her and, her and Diamond Battles uh, play in the backcourt. Diamond's going to be playing quite a lot. Uh, this year, back there with KK, 
in her sophomore year, and and Diamond and and uh, KK have a a big sister, little sister type of relationship. Uh, when KK got to UCF, uh, she actually made Diamond promise her when she was still a high school student at Winter Haven. She made Diamond promise her that she would also commit to UCF when the time came, and she followed through on that. And so now they're going to play together in that backcourt, basically uh, most minutes. And that's going to be interesting. Uh, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch, knowing their relationship off the court, how well that sort of tran- tra- translates on the court. Also makes me wonder if there, if maybe there's going to be a little bit more of KK playing at the two, where Diamond yes. could be more of a what, what is going to be more of the one out there in the regular lineup. Eric, out of those new faces um, that we see, who intrigues you the most as possibly like a really as a consistent uh, as a consistent contributor? Uh, heading into this season, you know, that's a good question. I, you know, I think I'm going to defer. I'm like to Coach Abe, what she said. I think, you know, you mentioned, and I think Murph, you were there at media day when she talked about this young lady and the impact that she will have on this team as far as, you know, some of the the, the you know new faces. I don't know if you want to say new faces because some of these were there last year, maybe didn't play much. Uh, you know, keep that in mind to some extent as well. But uh, you know. Uh, Somebody like, for example, Brittany Smith, who was, you know, just a, is a sophomore, I think could make an impact, big-time impact this year. There's been very glowing about her uh, as far as that's concerned. If you're asking me about the freshman, I think that's a question they're still trying to figure out over there as far as, you know, who kind of breaks this roster. Because as you know, Jeff, Coach Abe would like to play a lot of bodies so she could press and keep him fresh. So, this, you know, does somebody like a Kiara Brown, a freshman, for example, from Palm Beach Gardens, you know, contribute here uh, uh, you know and, and really provide in the backcourt and I always defer to the backcourt because uh, you know coach Fabe kind of downplayed it in the in the in the in the interview there but they've gotten great guard play since she's arrived here yeah I'm talking like ra- raising the level of the game like when KK Wright was here as a freshman I mean she was playing well but nobody saw foresaw what this was coming uh and she's developed tremendous and you know I've talked to KK in the past about it she gives credit to Z Saunders so who is the senior who transferred from Albany come over to UCF, played a year, was fantastic two years ago, and she kind of took KK under their wings, and I think to Merv's point, I think KK's going to take Diamond to, on her, her wing and pass that on as far as the leader in the guard position. So, um, you know, I, I think that's going to be interesting, though, like you mentioned, who are some of the new faces that uh, could certainly make an impact for sure. I'll, I'll give you a name, though, that I'm excited to see. I think it's a little under the radar now, and that's Masani Kaba who I thought was fantastic in her freshman year, Jeff, when you remember they had a ton of injuries, especially in the front court. She had to play more, and I thought she was solid. I love her post-up game. Uh, You know, then last year it was a deeper team, so she didn't, you know, play as, you know, had the full minutes that she had two years ago. I think she's blossomed. I I think she reminds me, it could be like the Colin Smith of this team, where I think a one-two punch inside-outside, you could have Kaba inside as a big force inside. I think she's going to have a really good year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what she could do. Uh, there with KK and Diamond there, and maybe those are your three top scorers on this team. So the uh, let's look at the conference overall. Obviously, UConn first place <laughs> vote with all the first place votes. Now, apparently, the the coaches as they vote, you can't vote for yourself. So yeah. Gino Auriemma, you want to guess who he voted for for with his first place vote? I can guess because I we're, I know what. I'm gonna guess because we're we're on this this podcast. Yeah, let me guess. It's, it's UCF. It is your UCF Knights. Yeah, UCF got one first place vote. The Knights are, are uh, according to the uh, preseason uh, poll tied for third with Cincinnati. UConn won. 
USF two, and they picked USF two because they, they had a lot of injuries last year. They, they would have been number two at number two anyway. Uh, I, I I'm pretty sure of it, or at least it would have been it would have been a heck of, it would have been a tough catch for UCF to get them. But um, their pick number two, UCF and Sissy tied for three, followed by Houston Temple, Tulane, Memphis, Wichita, Tulsa, ECU, SMU in that order. Um, obviously. UConn in their final year in the in the in the conference, um, they're expected to roll on through. But it does feel like uh, there's. It used to be pretty much a given that South Florida would be number two. Is it as much of a given this year? Uh, do you think, Eric Lopez? No, at all. And I disagree with you. I think UCF is the second best team. I I don't think USF would have been second last year. Uh, I think that's that's no that's you know no, no disrespect. I'm a huge Jose Fernandez fan. I think he's brilliant as a head coach. But you know, it, it, this is a contrast of styles. And UCF, I thought had more depth than they had. And you know, and injuries are part of the game, and that's the way it goes. And USF's got some questions there. I mean, they don't have Loxa there anymore. They don't have you know their, their firepower now. They have some talent. Don't get me wrong. And I think they're going to be bouncing back. And I think it is important for the league. I mean, we can talk UConn all we want. UConn's departing at the end of the year. And as I talked to Coach Abe in the interview there. I think this league's got a chip on the shoulder, needs to get a chip on the shoulder. Who's going to step up now for this league moving forward is going to be important. And I think for this league to be successful, I think USF, UCF for sure, need to be successful at the top of the league. And I think a team like Cincinnati, who could be the a team to watch out for here, you know, you, you saw them up close. They gave UCF all they can handle in a match last year at Orlando where KK Wright had to steal the ball to get a victory. But they got talented players coming back with Antoinette Miller and Thomas there. So they've got, you know, Illamar Thomas. So they've got some talent there. And I, I think it's important for this league to show that they will be okay after UConn. I think that's the biggest question with this league. And for that to happen, I think you need USF, UCF at the top because they have great coaches with Fernandez and his offensive style. And, and of course, Coach A, but UCF. And maybe a team like Cincinnati uh, who's got good talent to be among that mix. Hopefully, if you're the league, you're, you know UConn is going to be UConn this year. You're hoping to be at least a three-bid league this year to show that moving forward, you can still be a multiple-bid league, even life after UConn. Yeah. Um, by the way, UConn has never lost a game in the American Athletic Conference since the conference was founded in 2013. Regular season, in conference, or in the tournament. Um, they've gone undefeated. Uh, the last time UConn lost a conference game uh, was in 2012-2013. They went 14-2 and in the old uh, Big East. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was against, uh, actually, well, they lost in the Big East Women's Tournament to Notre Dame. They were number three. Notre Dame was number two. They lost uh, 61-59. Their last in-conference regular season loss was March 4th of 2013, at Notre Dame in a triple overtime game, 96-87 um, was the final score. Of course, uh, uh, of course, Notre Dame no longer in the Big East and certainly not in the American Union, the ACC now. But um, a remarkable run for Gino. And the question is going to be, can anyone get them before they leave? I don't know. It, let me ask you, uh, I'll, this will be my last question for you guys on this. Do you guys think that they can be ha- – if anyone can get them, who can get them in conference? Brian, I'll start with you. UCF, only because you have a star. You have a legitimate yeah. star that can take over a game. How about you, uh, Eric? 
I agree with Murph, but for a different reason. I agree with him at UCF, but for a different reason. It's because of style of play. South Florida likes to go up-tempo. That's right into UConn's hands. That's why I don't think South Florida can ever – they're never competitive with, UC, uh, with UConn. Not that many are. But Whereas UCF, they will slow the game down, and they can defend. And if they can protect the basketball, they'll make UConn play ugly and make them feel uncomfortable. And Murph, you were there with me – what was it? Two seat was it two seasons ago? Two seasons where they ago, played, yeah. Where they played that game where they held UConn to fifty five points. It was a fifty five thirty seven game. That's the kind of style that you need to play to stay in it with UConn and put some pressure on them in the fourth quarter. Make them make some plays. I think UCF has the style to do that. Uh, you're right about KK. The problem is UConn. What they tend to do is they're going to focus on KK and put a lot of pressure on her. So somebody else has to step up. Does UCF have that player on the roster? They haven't in the first three seasons. Will they have that this year? Is it a diamond battles? Is it somebody else? Who knows? But I do think UCF is a type of team that could be the team that could give UConn fits. You know they annoy Gino and UConn. We saw that by his infamous postgame presser at the championship game last year. Mm -hmm. uh, he was agitated by them. So clearly the UCF knows how to agitate them. So I would bet on UCF. And and, and I think that's, a, you know, that's how, what it would take. It would be somebody like that, unless it's a team also – the kind of that you see UConn sleepwalk. If you remember a couple of years ago, they almost lost to Tulane and Tulane because Tulane that was their Super Bowl. So if they go play Cincinnati, is a team like Cincinnati that's their Super Bowl. There's UCF, you know, there's, there's UConn sleepwalk through some of those games. That's another possibility. Is a team kind of the field, right? If we did the whole take UConn, uh, UCF or USF or the field, some might take the field because some might think that UConn may not respect the other teams where UCF and USF might get their attention, but. I will say it's UCF because of the style of play that they have and present uh, kind of some problems for UConn. You know, one of the things about UConn that I was thinking about was, um, you know, obviously Megan Walker returns for them, but but this for the first time in a while it feels like this is the first time that UConn's center of gravity is in the backcourt with uh, with Dangerfield and Kristen Williams, um, it, who both of them were all conference selections, as was Megan Walker, but but. It feels like there's. I mean, I'm not saying that their front court is bad. Obviously, the front court's amazing, probably the best front court in the country. But are they as good as they were with you know Katie Lou Samuelson and uh, and and certainly Nafisa Collier, who was just amazing for them uh, last year. And if the center of gravity is in the backcourt, well, that matches up with what UCF wants to do. Um, and if and again, I think you're right, Eric. Both of you guys are right. It, it 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 comes down to KK and can they frustrate UConn enough to kind of throw them off their game and and confuse them a little bit? But uh, you know, I, I don't know. That's a that's a, it, beating UConn's a tall order for anybody. Nonetheless, um, well, UCF does have uh, will get an opportunity to do that. Their season starts Wednesday at 11 a.m. Uh, against Pitt at home. It's uh, uh, school it's it's school day actually at UCF you can have a lot of um, uh, groups from some local uh, schools coming to watch the game the Knights go on the road to play Belmont Old A Sunfo um, at Fort Myers to play Florida Gulf Coast then they go to Nacogdoches to play Stephen F. Austin um, they got Delaware and Stetson at home late in November Stetson's the day before Thanksgiving uh, they go to Virginia to play UCLA and James Madison before they come home to play Quinnipiac, and then we have a holiday tournament here with St. Mary's and Wright State, Central Michigan, uh, the day uh, the day before New Year's Eve, 
uh, to close out the non-conference slate. Um, conference opponents at home include ECU. UConn comes here on Thursday, January 16th. Uh, that game will be televised on ESPN3. Uh, ESPN2 will carry the game at Cincinnati and at USF on January 12th and 9th, respectively. Uh, the Knights are home for Memphis, also at home for Memphis, SMU, Cincinnati, uh, USF on February 19th, uh, and uh, Temple. And then March 2nd is uh, Senior Day, Wichita State comes to town at the American Athletic Conference Championship March 6th through the 9th. Uh, in By the, uh, way, the Mohegan it, it, Sun Arena once again. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. One thing to highlight in that schedule you, you mentioned, you kind of passed through. UCF January 12th at Cincinnati. Uh, it's a Sunday. You mentioned it's ESPN2 at Cincinnati. Following that, Thursday, January 16th, they host UConn, 6 o'clock on the 16th of January. Then on Sunday, they go to Tampa to play the Bulls on ESPN2. UCF's the only team in the conference. If you look at the conference preseason poll, UConn was one, USF, UCF, and Cincinnati. Those are your top four teams, and I agree with that. I think those are the top four, and then there's a gap. UCF is the only team that has to play all three of them, Cincinnati, UConn, and USF, back-to-back-to-back. And they do it twice. Uh, And they do it (laughs) twice. they got to do it again later in the year, February 15th on Saturday. They host Cincinnati. Then host South Florida on Wednesday before going to UConn. Did, did I miss? Did we miss the memo? Did UCF actually win the league? Like, should <laughs> UConn have that schedule? Like that portion there, like back to back to back. That is rough, and that is a concern to me as far as UCF's concerned from a scheduling standpoint, um, because that's tough. I mean, South Florida doesn't have to do that back to back to back, and UConn does it, which doesn't make any sense to me. But whatever. Um, it is what it is. You play them out, and they'll be ready to play. But more than likely, those are going to be pivotal stages of the season. And you may have to say that UCF, to have a shot at second place, may have to go 4-2 and two in those six-game stretch. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Certainly at least hold serve at 3-3, three and three, but uh, it'll be a tough, uh, tough thing to figure out. So, all right, um, let's put a bow on this uh, special basketball preview edition. Brian Murphy, what are some of the things that we're going to be seeing from you this basketball season? Well, you'll be seeing me at a lot of games, Jeff. That's good. <laughs> I understand the premise. Uh, you will, You know what? I was thinking because you went through the women's schedule there. That, that, uh, that game on Wednesday, 11 a.m., you know, I'll be right there talking to Heupel at that same time. So after we're done with our four to five minutes of talking to Josh Heupel, maybe I'll just pop on over to the arena and check that out. That'd be fun. Um, <laughs> and then, four, to five, uh, four to five minutes of hearing, oh, we're going to go one and oh this week. <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's a bliss in four minutes every week. We love it. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, the, the quick turnaround this, this next weekend coming up. I'm making sure that I'm returning from Tulsa early Saturday morning so I can get from the airport to the there arena men's basketball starting uh, against Prairie View A&M so uh, that'll be fun yeah how about you Eric Lopez what are you what are you looking forward to uh, uh, and what and what can we look forward to from you this basketball season? I will be there I, I, oh, I mean Merck just kind of uh, inspired me he kind of really won me over I don't think that was his design but his you know, Wednesday with Hypo and women's hoops. What's not to like? I might have to join right. you on that. Murph knows where the business. stories are. I'll be there. I'll be there. All we all we need is a little coffee, and we're good to go, right? A little coffee there, a little brunch. I mean, a little br- yeah, I'm down. So I might be down for that. 
Um, so I'm going to be looking forward to going to a lot of the basketball games and kind of seeing the story develops. And let me ask you both this: What is the what are the games? Give me a couple games that you that you circle. What are the games like? Wow, I can't wait for that. Like you mentioned, obviously, like the UConn game in women's basketball is going to get circled because it's going to be the last time, more than likely, that UConn comes to UCF. So that's one I've got circled. Obvious reasons. I think on the men's side, I think certainly Memphis comes here. I think that's one that everybody's going to have circled. But give me another one. Give me another one that you guys kind of have circled. They're like, wow, this is a either this is a game I'm looking forward to seeing that team play, or this is a game that could be a key game that could you know turn it could be a big factor in this season one way or the other, something like that. On the women's side, I think that the Stetson game the day before Thanksgiving is going to be a very wow. good barometer game because. Lynn Bria, former coach here at UCF, um, has uh, has has created a has created a little bit of a mini monster up in uh, Stetson. They're competitive in the A Sun every year. They come here for the first time uh, since I think I think since Lynn was has joined Stetson, um, and that'll be a one p.m. game on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to see that because it'll be a good early season test for UCF to see. All right, how do they match up with a team? Uh, uh, with a t- with a team like that uh, in-, in the early going before conference play actually gets underway, so that's one I've got circled. How about you, Murph? Well, I mean, I think for UCF men's basketball, I'm looking forward to seeing them at Oklahoma, just a different environment, and I want to go up against you know a Big Twelve pro- program on the road. That's gonna be a big that's gonna be a big measuring stick for where this where this young team is at that point. I mean, just before con- it, that leads into to basically conference season play. Um, I also wanted to bring out that the front half of UCF men's basketball conference slate, it's 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 totally front-loaded, the, 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 the schedule for UCF, because so coming out of that Oklahoma game on December 21st, they open up at home against Temple, but then it's at Houston, at SMU, Cincinnati, at Tulane, you might win that one, then South Florida at Wichita State, Memphis at South Florida again. That is what the how heck, they- man. Wait a minute, did that I miss? Is- did we miss the memo? Did we win the league last year? What the heck, man? That is how they go from January third to February first. There is a month. The month of January for men's basketball is going to be either like really entertaining and like interesting, or just like bury your head in the sand, disastrous. It could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. By the way, and, and we might, we might. I mean, you talk about the non-conference. Here's a little portion of the schedule you mentioned preview opener. Miami comes here at nine o'clock tip Tuesday night. Jim Larinaga and the Hurricanes. Of course, his son Jay Larinaga, who's an assistant with the Boston Celtics, has been coaching Taco Fall. By the way, and that's a late. A that's a late tip at home. Isn't Nine it? prime time. Late prime time on CBS. Yeah, yeah. One of us is not looking forward to that late tip. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Mr. I love noon kickoffs over here. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. then, and then they go to Illinois State. Remember that memorable NIT game with BJ hit the free throw to, yep. to advance there to the quarterfinals and then win at Illinois State. That's a good program. And then, uh, uh, you know, I'll skip ahead here, a trip that Murph I know was circling there, Anaheim, playing over there in the, in the tournament up in Anaheim, Murph, uh, with a good field there where they're going to face – open up with Penn from the Ivy League, but there could be some potential teams they might be playing there that could be pretty interesting. Well, certainly Arizona, Long Beach State, you've got yeah. some good teams. I, I, now, I have spoken about this on a regular podcast, that my goal was to be out at that tournament and then either return in time for the Black Friday USF game or 
leave after the Black Friday USF game and then go out there uh, to go cover basketball. However, as time has gone on, both are very unfeasible just due to uh, plane flights and scheduling. So I will not be in Anaheim uh, around Thanksgiving, unfortunately, and that really, really bothers me since I have been pretty much marking that tournament on my calendar for the past year. But uh, that's, the, uh, that's the Wooden Legacy Tournament. And just to give you some idea yeah. of who's in this uh, who's in this tournament? You got Arizona, Charleston, Long Beach, Penn, Pepperdine, Providence, UCF, and Wake. Uh, Wake Forest is in there, so it's a pretty good field out there. Some teams from out west mixing up, mixing up with some teams from the from the from the east, and uh, um, that game will be out at the at the uh, pond at the uh, at the Anaheim yeah. Pond. It used to be the pond. It's not the pond anymore. It's still <laughs> the pond. Stop. Stop. Always the pun. Still the pun. I just want to say, by the way, just want to say, unfortunately, we couldn't get the black and gold banner at Jet for Murph. But if there's a, if there's a booster out there, a fan that has, you know, a lot of connections, a jet. hook up Murph. Yeah, <laughs> if you want private jet, hook up Murph. You know, the same they people that hook up Murph. <laughs> Anybody, like, the same people that maybe hooked up Brock Lesnar to get out of Saudi Arabia and the while well, the rest of the roster got stuck there for, like, 24 hours. Somebody like that. <laughs> It can hook up Murph to go from Black Friday with basketball and football back and forth. Please uh, follow us at Black and Gold Banner and reach out to us so we can uh, help a young man like Mr. Murphy. A dream, a we can help a young boy's help a young boy's dreams come true. Help brother out. <laughs> so, so with that, we will uh, that'll do it for our uh, basketball preview. Again, like Eric said, follow us at Black and Gold UCF Banneret on UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Oh, and Facebook. No, no, but let's show some uh, props by the way. Jeremy Brenner, who's going to yes. be covering women's basketball. He's got some great features coming up on the Banneret, Jeffrey, that he was around media day. He was talking to a lot of UCF players, and it really wasn't basketball talk. And he's going to be, uh, and he's going to be doing a lot of women's basketball coverage again. So make sure you follow yeah. Jeremy Brenner at Jeremy Brenner on Twitter. And follow Luke Saris as well, who's going to be helping us out with some men's basketball coverage as well at Luke Saris. SBN. You can follow us also, I forgot to mention it, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret and on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. So uh, don't forget to follow us each individually, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy. So for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to our basketball preview show. And it should be uh, it should be an interesting basketball season as well. A lot of intrigue heading into it, and it starts with the women on Wednesday. We'll be there for it. All the best. Enjoy basketball season. We'll be back with our regular show on Thursday.